daily input on Seeking God. We'll be looking primarily at the Gospel of Luke uh, this season. Well, about four or five years ago, I thought I was texting my older brother, Mikey. Uh, I came across across this quote from the Godfather movie, and uh, for some reason I thought he should read this, and so I fired off this text, and then I realized that I had texted this young man who went to faith when he was in, at K-State, but he had graduated, and he was now living in Kansas City, and so out of the blue, Xavier gets this text from Pastor Steve that says, Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes, okay? <laughs> and so when a mobster says that, it's, it's just never a good thing. And so I realized it, and I explained it to him, and we had a good laugh. But after that first text, we, just, we started this tradition of just randomly texting each other movie quotes to see if the other person could guess, you know, what movie it's from. And it's really hard. I mean, we, we almost never get it right. But about a year ago, I scrolled back. About a year ago, I, I texted Xavier this. See if you know where this is from. He said, it says, yours was the face I saw above my cradle, the only mother I have ever known. Wherever I am led and whatever I must do, I will always love you. And so Xavier's, his guess was Superman too, but it's actually from the movie The Ten Commandments, okay? And so they show this movie like ever since 1973, they show it on Easter weekend. And if you've seen this movie a number of times and you remember that quote, when you hear it, it just all comes back, the emotions of it. And here's... here's, uh, Um, Moses as a man, he sees his mother for the first time since he was an infant, and it's just this tender expression of loyalty and love for her. If you've seen the movie, it's actually really powerful. But if you've never seen the movie, it's just a quote from a movie that you've never seen. And the same thing is at play when it comes to Scripture. If you've never really immersed yourself in the Scriptures, and you hear a verse or a story, and, and you don't really understand the context. It's just like a quote from a movie that you've never seen. I mean, somebody can explain it to you, but there is no substitute for reading and rereading and thinking deeply about and talking about and seeking to live out passages of Scripture. That's when the the word is written on our hearts. That's when it becomes embedded in the deepest part of our being. That's when we treasure it up in our in our souls. And so, consider for an example from the book of Luke, which we'll be studying the next six weeks in our season of seeking. In Luke nine twenty three, Jesus made this statement, and he Jesus said to all, "If anyone would come after me." Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so as a freestanding quote, if you just hear that and you're like, okay, that's about following Jesus and it's kind of bland, it's kind of flat, it's kind of nondescript. Uh, But if we look at the immediate context and the broader context and we read it and we study and we think about it and we talk about it, You can get this deep, nuanced, compelling understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And so in the immediate context, for example, we read in the previous verse 
Luke 9.22, that Jesus had told his disciples where he was going. If you want to follow Jesus, it's really, really important that you understand where he's going, because if you follow him, that's where you're going also. So in the previous verse, Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And so Jesus told them, he told them repeatedly, he told them eight times in Luke, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and then on the third day I'm going to rise again. And so he said, that's where I'm going, I am going to the cross. And then he said, therefore, if anyone wants to come after me, since I'm carrying a cross, you too must, must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so the immediate context tells us that following Jesus means being willing to suffer as Jesus suffered. But the larger context, the Gospel of Luke adds something else to the idea of following Jesus that changes everything. It turns out that Jesus isn't merely going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus is returning to his Father in heaven. And so repeatedly in the Gospel of Luke, uh, uh, Luke emphasizes that he's going back to his father. And so in the very next paragraph, this is in Luke, uh, Luke 9 again, verses 29 through 31, Jesus is up on a mountain praying and Peter, James, and John are there. And uh, this is what we read. <clears throat> and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration because his face and even his clothes were kind of transfigured. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of what? His departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so the word for departure is exodus. It's talking about, not, it's talking about his departure from this world his exodus going back to his father who is in heaven. And so Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die, but after he was raised from the dead was this exodus, this returning to his father. And so his final destination was heaven with his father. And so Luke makes clear throughout his gospel that if you want to follow Jesus in this life, you need to take up your cross daily and suffer as Jesus suffered, but the final destination is heaven with your Father. And that makes all the difference if you understand that that's where you're going. And so much of Luke 13 through 19 explains how those who follow Jesus in this life should think and live so that we'll arrive at our heavenly destination prepared. That's the context of following Jesus. And so our desire for you between now and Christmas, and uh, I said Christmas. <clears throat> I tried to hide it, but I couldn't. Uh, our desire for you between now and Easter is that you immerse yourself in the gospel of Luke and that you become fascinated with the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And so Going to the scriptures isn't something you're supposed to do about once a day. 
but it's your meat, it's your food, it's, it's, it's what you feast on. And that you allow God to write this on your heart so that you have an intuitive, nuanced understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And we're in a lot of different places when it comes to following Jesus. Uh, some of you are very experienced. You have been walking closely with Jesus, immersing yourself in Scripture for years. Uh, perhaps others of you used to follow Jesus very closely. Maybe you still come to church, but it's kind of a past tense kind of thing. Someone once told me, yeah. I said, how are you doing with your walk? And they said, well, Jesus and I are seeing other people right now. Like, okay, well, at least that's honest. Or maybe you've never walked, followed Jesus. Maybe for you, the idea of following Jesus is like a quote from a movie that you've never really seen. Let me assure you that those who seek him find him. We hope that you not only seek him, but that you find him this Easter season. And if you, if you seek and find Jesus, your faith becomes your own, and the sky is the limit in terms of what you can experience with him. So today we're going to begin the passage that Trisha read in Luke 9, 51 and 52. And the main thing that's emphasized here is that learning to follow Jesus will require us to unlearn many things. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you see it throughout chapter 9, it just over and over, it's almost funny when you start noticing it, is that most of the time the disciples and even potential disciples get it exactly wrong about what it means to follow Jesus. And so learning to follow Jesus involves unlearning many things. And so if we're going to learn to follow Jesus, we need to be open to the possibility that we, myself included, are getting some things wrong. Especially at the first, we get almost everything wrong, and we need to unlearn many things. And so with that in mind, let's be open to that possibility. We need to unlearn some significant things. And three topics, the destination, the opposition, and then the cost of following Jesus. We'll look at those one at a time. The destination, the opposition, and then the cost of following Jesus. In verse 951, Jesus talks about the destination. This is what we've been talking about, but we see it here again, verse 51. This is a hinge verse in the entire book of Luke. When the days drew near for him, for Jesus, to be taken up, That's his departure. That's his exodus. When that day drew near, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this term taken up, it's used consistently in in Luke and in Acts for uh, the ascension, Jesus going back to his father. And that's what Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about. We'll read in, in chapter 24 that after Jesus blessed his disciples, after he met with them after the resurrection, we read that he was carried up into heaven. And so Luke tells us that when that day approached, that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. That means he wasn't going to turn to the right or to the left. He was going to Jerusalem, as he had told his disciples, to suffer and to die. And so suffering would precede glory. That's the pattern. It's the same pattern in our lives. In this world, you will have trouble. There's suffering in this this life, but it's a prelude to glory. It's a prelude to to our return to our Heavenly Father. 
And so again, between now and Easter, our study of Luke will prompt us to think quite a bit about our heavenly destination. And talk about heaven can, can be very cliche. It can be very kind of uh, superficial. Some people, I've, I've heard many people actually, dismiss the whole idea of the return of Christ and heaven. It's just going to work out one way or another. But we are told about the return of Christ and our heavenly home over and over and over again. And if we don't lock in and we don't pay attention, we'll miss something significant. This life becomes this drab, hard, difficult, joyless experience. But the reality of a heavenly destination can change everything. So be open to the possibility as we move through Luke that you need to unlearn some things about heaven or the new heaven and the new earth. In verses 52 through 55, we're introduced to the topic of opposition uh, of those to, to following Jesus. And uh, in these verses, you, you think about it. So Jesus and his disciples, there were at least 12 of them, so that's 13 people. They're going to go to Jerusalem, and they weren't going to just check into hotels everywhere along the way. They, Jesus sends people, kind of an advanced team, go and make preparations. Find somebody who will put us up for the night and who will feed us. And significantly, Jesus decides we're going to go through Samaria. Jews typically went around Samaria. There was this great hostility between the two. Samaritans were related to Jews, but they rejected Jerusalem as a place where they ought to worship. And so uh, we read this in verses 52 and 53. And he, Jesus, sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And so the the Samaritans in this village, they basically stereotyped Jesus before they knew anything about him. They knew, they just thought, well, he's a rabbi, he's going to Jerusalem, so we want nothing to do with him. And so they just rejected him out of hand. And... uh, They had no idea that he was going to Jerusalem to die for their sins, and they rejected him. It's interesting, when you read in in Acts 8, you'll find that that, uh, um, Philip uh, went and he preached to the Samaritans, and many of these villages, and many of them accepted Christ and received Christ, but at this juncture, they would not receive him. We see in verse 54 that James and John had the same animosity toward the Samaritans that they had toward him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, there's a suggestion, right? I mean, they had this kind of one strike and you're out attitude. They had this visceral reaction, the idea that if people don't immediately receive Jesus, and the kingdom that he's establishing. I mean, it's just death death sentence, you know. They deserve to just be annihilated. And uh, this attitude was something they would need to unlearn. In response to that suggestion, Luke simply records, but he turned and rebuked them. If you keep reading in, in Luke, you'll find out, well, obviously, at his first coming, when Jesus took on flesh and blood, he wasn't coming to judge people. He was coming to seek and save those who were lost. And, uh, and that's what the disciples 
needed to understand. Even those who were initially hostile toward him. What if Paul had a death sentence before he trusted Christ and wrote 13 books in the New Testament? Now, what's interesting is that if you keep reading in chapter 10, and if you do the the study guide, on day two, we're going to read the first part of Luke chapter 10, and Jesus gives very specific instructions. This is what you should do if people will not receive you. If you go into a village and they won't receive you, this is what you do. Shake the dust off your feet as an expression of, of judgment on them. And then Jesus actually says, in the judgment... When judgment day comes, it will be more tolerable, you ready for this, for Sodom than for these cities that reject me. And you remember what happened in Sodom, Genesis 19, fire literally came down from heaven, okay? So there will be a judgment day, there will be, but this is not that day. If you're going to follow me in this life, you need to be willing to to take this message of the gospel to people at great personal cost to yourself. You should endure, you should rejoice when people mock you and mistreat you and say all types of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Jesus, that's the way it's always been. It was the way with the prophets. If you're gonna sway with me, if you're gonna follow me, that's what you're gonna receive as well. And so in learning to follow Jesus, the disciples, and all of us who want to follow him, we need to unlearn some, some deeply held attitudes toward those who reject the gospel. And on our, in our reading guide on, uh, on day one, we'll be looking at this passage, and you'll be asked to consider a question. Can you think of a time when you have wanted to call down fire from heaven on somebody? Now, I mean, not just this past week, you know, I'm sure that happened, but can you think of a time? I mean... Sometimes we just, we just have, we murder people in our hearts. And so there's some things we need to unlearn. We need to understand what it means to follow Christ. And so enter into the gospel of Luke. Let it diagnose wrong thinking and attitudes in your life. We come to verses 56 through 62. And, and uh, Luke discusses the cost of following Jesus. Having been rejected by one village, we read in verse 56 that Jesus and his disciples went to another. And they went on to another village. And along the way, they encountered these three potential disciples. And in each case, Jesus challenged them to count the cost of following him. And in each case, he need, they needed to unlearn something. They made a statement, something that made Jesus counter it prompted him to counter with something that they had not considered. And so as we read these three interactions, just keep in mind a couple of things, okay, because we can, we can tend to approach these verses with the wrong attitude. Number one, Jesus sometimes told something, he warned or instructed one person in a way that he didn't someone else. The classic example is the, the rich young ruler in Luke 18, Jesus said to him, sell everything you have, take the proceeds, and give to the poor. 
He didn't tell everybody that. There were others that retained their wealth and used their wealth for good, but that's what he needed. And so we'll see some things in this passage that Jesus knows people's hearts and he tells them one specific thing that may or may not be universal, may or may not apply to every one of us. And so keep that in mind. But second, that doesn't mean that those instructions to individuals are irrelevant for us. To the contrary, as we'll see, his instructions to individuals reflect perspectives and values that all of us need if we're going to follow Jesus. In similar ways, we will probably need to unlearn some things the way they did. And so in verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Very confident, very unconditional, I will follow you wherever you go. 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so this potential disciple needs to know that foxes and birds had something that Jesus did not have, namely a place to return and sleep at the end of a long day. When Jesus was born, there was no, no room for him at the end. Jesus had now left his relative security in Nazareth to, to travel around the country. As we saw in the last paragraph, he was dependent on the Samaritans to provide out of their, their hospitality to provide a place for him to, to lay his head, food to eat. And so Jesus was telling this potential disciple, if you're actually going to follow me, you will have to endure the same hardships that I endure. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have the same lifestyle that I have. Now, of course, not everyone is called to a traveling ministry without a permanent home. It's actually fairly rare. But uh, on a deeper level, we're all called to live mindful of the fact that this, this earth is not our home. This is not our permanent place. We are restless. Uh, we don't really settle down until we make it all the way to our final destination with our heavenly Father. And so until that time, we too will have to endure hardships like Jesus. Now, what does this mean for you, okay? For this potential disciple, it meant nowhere to lay. What does it mean for you? I can't answer that question. You have to seek God, ask him, he will show you. In verse 59, Jesus initiates this conversation with the second person to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And that sounds like a very reasonable request to us, actually a very God-honoring request, because in Scripture, we are are told that we are to care for our parents uh, as they age. And one explanation is that in that day, the process of, of mourning and burying someone, their final burial, could take up to a year. Sometimes they would bury the person, and then once the body decomposed, they took the bones and they put them in an ossuary, ossuary box, and there's all these things. So that may have been the case. It may be that this man's father is not really, not actually dead yet. He's saying, implying, my father's elderly, and after he dies, then I'll follow you. And so if that's the case, it's as if this man was saying to Jesus, yes, I will follow you later. Okay, so it's discipleship delayed. 
I will follow you later, but I have higher priorities now. And so, of course, if Jesus really is the Son of God, there are no higher priorities than following him now. And so in the same way, we might tell Jesus, yes, I will follow you absolutely later. After I sow my wild oats, there's a few things I want to experience in this world. I'll get back to you. Or I will follow you after this semester is over or after I graduate from college or after I get established in my career, after my kids get a little older, after I'm just freed from the stress of work, after I retire, I'll follow. And it ends up, I will follow you after I die, okay? Discipleship delayed is not really discipleship. And so Jesus said to him, verse 60, leave the dead to, this This sounds harsh, and I can't really smooth it over. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so he basically says, spiritually dead people can bury physically dead people. But only a person who's spiritually alive can go and proclaim the kingdom. And so don't miss the point in trying to figure out why this is really a reasonable thing that Jesus is telling this man. <laughs> this may be akin to what he told the, the rich young ruler. It's very unreasonable when he told him, sell everything you have, take the proceeds, and give it to the poor. It may be that Jesus knew this man's heart and he said, you need to deal with the idea that I have to be your highest priority. It's just wrong thinking. Yes, I'll follow you later. I'll follow you after I do some other things. There can be no higher priority. And following Jesus involves telling others about him. I mean, everyone will die, but not everyone will make it home to their father in heaven. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to follow him, adopt his lifestyle, and like him, declare the kingdom of God, proclaim the kingdom of God. And that will look different for different people. We have different gifts, different temperaments, different callings, but all of us are to be transparent and tell others about the kingdom. And then the third one, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So I'm not a farmer, but I know if you're plowing a field, it's not a good idea to look back. Or if you're driving a car or riding a bicycle, bad things happen when you look back, right? You're supposed to keep your eyes straight ahead. You remember we read in verse 51, what did Jesus do? When he knew that his exodus was near, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was not looking back. So if you follow Jesus, neither should you look back. And this man's loyalty to his family was higher than his loyalty to Christ. But again, if Jesus is the Son of God, our highest loyalty has to be to him. You know, I think about this, and these are some hard things that Jesus is saying, but but I think we need to realize that Jesus is doing them and us a favor by being honest, by telling them up front that following him will be costly. Jesus never had this kind of bait and switch uh, mentality. 
Well, I'm just going to try to wrangle them in and just follow me. Everything will be fine. And if they find out later that people treat them the way they treat me, well, so be. We'll deal with it. No, he wanted them to know up front. He wanted them to count the cost up front. And he's really doing us a favor because we will find that out. And so uh, Jesus told them straight up, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And so that's what following Christ is about. And there's a cost to following Christ. But as it's often been pointing out, there's a much higher cost to not following Christ. It's possible to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. And we're in many different places when it comes to following Christ. And again, some of you, this is, this is your life. This is your day in and day out pursuit of Jesus Christ. And for others of you, perhaps the idea of following Christ is like a quote from a movie that you've never seen. And if that's the case, there's no shame in that. I would just encourage you this Easter season, taste and see that the Lord is good. God really wants to be found. And so he says, seek me, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. And so I would encourage you, and this may be a risky thing for you. It may sound like you're you're taking a, a, a risk and you don't want to be disappointed. I would just encourage you, uh, decide that you will seek God, decide how you will seek God, and then seek him because he is our treasure. And again, this guide that we're providing is just tangible help in doing that. And uh, be open to the possibility that you need to unlearn some things as you learn to follow Christ. And so we come to the Lord's table this morning, and uh, it's a time to look back at the sacrifice Jesus made at his first coming. And so the bread, uh, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. And if you didn't get one of these on the way in, feel free to slip out and pick up one of those. And the, the cup represents the, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And so we do remember the Lord's sacrifice and the Lord's table. But it's significant in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said that when you do this, when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you also proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. And so we're anticipating the time when he returns and we're received into our Father's presence in heaven. And so... We look back, but we also look forward. And so keep in mind your destination. I want to take just a a few moments to pause before we eat the bread and drink the cup together. If I would have you just, just have an honest, start an honest conversation with God about your seeking of him. Will you seek him? How will you seek him? Why will you seek him?
On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus took the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus came to seek and save us. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, as we seek you, Uh, You're not really hiding, but you want to be found. So God, we pray that this would be a rich time these next six weeks. We pray that you would move in our midst. We pray that you would give each of us everything we need, the desire, the time, uh, the ability to seek you. God, surprise us with your grace. We pray in, in anticipation, in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, I'd